What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Caffeinated Bible Chatter. We got the coffee out, it's hot, and the sword in front of us is sharp. This is Kylo Shields, and I'm sitting here with Dylan Brown. What's going on? I'm excited for this new series. We've been trying to ramp it up, get ready, um, post some stuff on social media and stuff like that. Uh, it's obviously on Calvinism, and I think this is going to be a six-week series, which is going to be by far the longest series we've done. Uh, I think this week will just be kind of an overview. So like, we'll, we'll repeat ourselves a lot from week to week. Um because like with doing an overview, we're not going to stay on one thing for too long, but we will say some things that we'll probably revisit in the individual things and points of Calvinism. Um, but I'm excited for it. Yeah, I will say, coffee-wise, I've been trying to do better. Um, I am sipping on uh, some Colum- uh, Colombian Starbucks coffee. I uh, got a got a nut. I think it's it's a creamer called like. Nut, nut something. <laughs> it it, it tastes about the way it sounds, um, but it doesn't have anything. It's essentially uh, just white liquid. There's nothing in it. That's why it uh, doesn't taste like anything. Um, but I do have some butter in there. So we're going with the keto coffee some today. Gold. Yes, and so uh, some Kerrygold butter, of course. Not not some uh, country crock. We're not trying to cause disease uh, around here. <laughs> so uh, some real butter. And um, got the sword out, got the notebook out, uh, ready to make this happen. Yes, this will be an exciting one. But yeah, like you said, six weeks. This first one, uh, it'll just be kind of a quick overview, uh, getting into Calvinism. Um, and then we'll, I think we're going to go go in and break down each one of those five points of mm. Calvinism. Um, so yeah, about six weeks. Um, last week, if you missed, we talked about body, soul, spirit. Um, which that's the soul sleeping. That's a seventh day Adventist Jehovah witness thing. Um, but if you missed it, check it out. I, th- I think we gave a good bit of scripture to show that, uh, what happens after death right? Right. to the body, soul and the spirit. Um, so today getting the, the Calvinism. Um, Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention I'm back on the black coffee. Mm, yes. I good. did. I did drink a, uh, what are they? Black Rifle Latte. The lattes. Yeah, the yeah. latte pod this morning. Super sweet. Mm, so They're good. Yeah. They're more my speed. But yeah, just just black right now for the episode. Yes, so. of course. <laughs> just because we need a little extra fire for this for this series. Yes. Coming out guns guns Throwing blazing. Punches. Barrels are out. <laughs> yeah. I've got an extended mag in, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> He's ready to go. Um, maybe we'll get a guest on there in the series. We'll see. If he's listening, he knows who we're talking about. He's probably five or six episodes back at this point. Uh, <laughs> I did talk to him, though, about coming on. So we'll, he says he's going to do it, so we shall see. He's got his gun loaded as well. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but all right, so how do you? How should we get into this? Well, um, I, so I thought about starting off with, with uh, 2 Peter one twenty, verse we've kind of referenced probably several times throughout history of this podcast, but uh, Peter says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So that's kind of, that's, that's huge as we dive into this series, because um, at the end of the day, there is, 
what this what Calvinism is is it is a private interpretation system. Um, it it thrives on that. It you cannot. I was talking to Cal before we started. This is something that you can't just pick up a Bible and become a Calvinist. Okay, now let me say because I always want to give. Um, I always want to look through the lens of the the other the other side. I've heard people say the same thing about dispensationalism. You cannot be a dispensationalist if you just pick up a Bible. Now, where I will say we would all agree, whether you're a Calvinist or you're a dispensationalist like we are, both sides would agree that training in the Word of God is necessary for somebody to study the Bible the right way. Calvin needs, in my opinion, in the Bible's opinion, uh, <laughs> it needs Calvin's private interpretational system. Well, you say, well, that's the same, that's the same thing with dispensationalism. Well... We've got clear verses that make dispensationalism a, a, a Bible thing. Like, so we, me and Kyle adhere, um, we adhere to rules of Bible study or keys of Bible study or, uh, you know, any, word, any way you want to describe that. We adhere to certain things that we are required to stand by when we study the Bible. In other words, because the scripture is not given of any private interpretation, I don't have the luxury. How many times have we all heard the, these kind of stories? You're in a you're in a Bible study, and I'm all about Bible studies. But you're in a Bible study, and like th- this is what's always worried me about. Like I love coffee shops, and I used to do a uh, Bible study in a coffee shop, but I always got scared I was going to have this person. Uh, well, that verse doesn't mean that to me. It means something different. And then I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Okay, now can can we glean from Scripture devotionally? Sometimes, you know, I hate to say differently, but sometimes something will stand out in a bigger way to me than it will Kyle and vice versa as we read the same passage. That's why when someone preaches a sermon, many people oftentimes leave changed and challenged in different ways, but yet they heard the very same thing. They, they saw and read the very same verses. Okay, I'm not saying that that's that that is a real thing, but what I mean what I mean by is is when someone approaches scripture, a very clear teaching, and they're like, no, like it's like reading, uh, you know, reading a, a verse on love, and someone's saying, well, see that to me, that really shows that I shouldn't I should never correct my kids because I just need to love them and let them figure it out for themselves. Okay, well that's wrong. That's not, it doesn't matter if your feelings direct you in that way. Our feelings direct us in wrong ways all the time. That's why we're called to, that's why we're called to walk by faith. So we would know in a Bible study setting when they say, when we read the verse, I think it's 1 John 4, 10, for uh, God is love. Okay, Dylan, to me, reading that God is love, that means I'm just going to love everybody and never give any, uh, in my preaching, I'm never going to rebuke. Well, that's, that's anti-scriptural because if, if I'm preaching the Word of God, we're called to do three things while preaching the Word of God, and one of them is rebuke. It's actually two-thirds negative. So, um, you get what I'm putting down. Uh, we can't a, a private interpretation system oversteps Scripture all throughout the Bible so that it can interpret something in a certain light. Well, that is not we no but no no nobody can do that and remain a good Bible student. 
Nobody can do that and, and, and wear the title good Bible student and go to sleep at night. You can't do that. You're not a good Bible student if you do that. And so at the end of the day, this podcast, we've said it a lot. Like maybe this type of episode, this type of series is something you're like, well, I'm not really that interested in that. Well, the reason that we're interested in this, this, this uh, series is because it is, uh, it is false doctrine. Um, and Kyle, I'm actually going to get you to read a verse. Let me pull it up. While you're saying all that, I was yeah thinking of second Timothy three sixteen. you know, it says all scripture, um, is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for, well, the first thing on the list is doctrine. Right. So, so what the Bible's teaching is, isn't going to be different. You know, the right. doctrine of, of what that passage is saying isn't going to be different for everyone. Right. No, absolutely. So that's, that's why John Calvin putting his own opinion on it is, is going against the doctrine of what things are teaching. Right. Um, so Kyle, go to Titus 1. Verse 9, I'm pretty sure is the reference. Holding fast. Um, I think that's where I want to go. Yeah, sound doctrine is what it talks about. Um, yes. Oh, yeah, gains heirs. Is that weird? <laughs> yep. Uh, man, and I'm, okay, go ahead and read that. Verse, uh, verse 9. Titus 1, 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Okay, that's a Bible command. We're to convince the gainsayers. So that's what really this whole podcast is all about. That's why we spend a lot of times, like we spend a lot of times on the King James stuff. Again, not what we don't just think that the term King James sounds cool. Like we have a reason for believing what we believe, what we believe, and so our our objective is to to convince those that believe differently. That's why, again, like I said, sometimes. Uh, I may sound passionate or somebody would say, um, well, Dylan sounds actually mean, uh, specifically Kyle often sounds mean. Okay. <laughs> well, the reason why that is, that's a big joke. I always like to mess with Kyle about that. But the reason that that is, is because like I said, in my mind, I have a 25 year old skeptic in my head that I'm looking at because I'm not looking at anybody actually, except for Kyle and, and the computer and the mic. Um, I have that person in my head, though, so I'm trying to convince the gainsayer. And so there's a lot of gainsayers when it comes to Calvinism these days. Um, and so it's a very popular false teaching. It is not only rampant in like other type churches, but it's actually rampant in the Baptist church. And, and we're Baptists because Baptists align with the Word of God. Um, and so, you know, it's a problem. It's a problem for me. It's a huge thing. And it's specifically huge with the youth of today. And when I say the youth, uh, I'm actually talking about people that are younger than me, but also people that are my age. And I'm probably not considered the youth anymore. But I just mean people under 40. Um, you may be 55 and you love Calvinism, and that's probably definitely a thing. But for the most part, Calvinism is sweeping in and it is taking up the younger generations up by storm. And... Uh, and they're they're absolutely falling in love with it and falling straight into it. So that's our goal is we're trying to convince the gainsayer. But what I love about this passage is in verse 10, it says, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. We believe a Calvinist Bible teacher is that. Especially they of the circumcision. That's in this context, uh, in this time of Titus, talking about Jews teaching false doctrine. 
Verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. Okay, so I say all that to say we're trying to convince the gainsayer, and we believe there's a lot of them in, in this context of, of Calvinism today. And I, uh, I don't want you know people to think, uh, I actually don't really care what people think, but I, 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 you know, people may have this idea where, well, you know, they're just trying to do this because it's controversial or whatever. Okay, well, at the end of the day, it's a biblical thing to stop those gainsayers' mouths. And so how do you do that other than, than speaking up, talking about it, and try to open the Word of God and, and dissect it from what God's viewpoint is in His Word? And so that's what we're going to do in this whole series. And, um, I, you know, there's probably some things I should just say for mine and Kyle's conversation, but I, we were talking about this beforehand, and I, I, really, I really mean this. If you learn how to study the Bible the way the Bible tells you how to study it, because like that's, our, that's my whole thing on dispensationalism, the reason I'm a dispensationalist is because there are clear teaching in Scripture that tells us to study in that certain manner. The word dispensationalism is not in the Bible, but dispensation is, rightly dividing is, you know, those kind of things. Uh, but I say all that to say this, me and Kyle were talking, and I actually don't think Calvinism is hard. It's not hard to see what they're saying. It's not hard to debunk. It's not hard to show Scripture with Scripture that it's not even slightly off. It's not even in the same ballpark. It's just wrong. And um, and I'm not scared of Calvinists and Calvinism and it, their, their lofty speech and how they go and they talk in fancy manners using big words. Because Paul says he didn't do that. So I'm called to follow Paul anyway. And so that's what I'm going to do. And that's what Kyle's going to do. And that's probably a long ranty intro. But that's okay. That's, that's, that was probably needed for this six-week series yeah. because, um, you know, like I said, there's... We got we got people that we that listen to this that we know, and most of the ones we know are not are not Calvinists. But you need you need ammunition to be able to defend against Calvinism because it's only going to continue to grow. And then there probably are some of you that, that like Calvinism. You either are a Calvinist or you would say something like, "I'm not a Calvinist, but you know." And normally when people say that, I always get weird anyway because I think that's code for I sort of like Calvinism. Yeah. Um, so. So here we are. So um, maybe we'll start off, or not start off, we're 15 minutes in, but uh, we'll, what we plan to do is this is just an overview, uh, probably a shorter episode, which is dangerous for, for me to say, but probably a shorter episode. We're just going to kind of give you a, a big, broad brush of it, um, and then each week after this, we're going to speci- uh, specify the whole entire episode on one of the points of Calvinism. Okay, so what do I mean? Maybe you're, you don't, you've never really heard of any of this. Um, well, what is Calvinism? What does it consist of? Well, it comes from, it's named after a guy, John Calvin, who was like in the 1500s. Um, John Calvin, uh, I've posted this on Facebook. We've said many things. He just simply got most of his things from a guy by the name of Augustine, who was from probably... Five, uh, probably seven or eight hundred years before that. I'm trying. To, I have drawn a blank on when Augustine was doing his was alive, but it was like before. Long time ago. Yeah, like <laughs> not like in the hundreds, like AD hundreds, like before you know, well before a uh, thousand AD and stuff. Okay, but that's not even the point of our thing. That's that's where it comes from. Um, and throughout time, they've they've laid out like uh, 
Calvin has a, a big main book that he wrote, and many that's kind of where they get all their stuff. Well, he quotes Augustine throughout that book like crazy. I actually, if you actually go back and listen to our literal verse allegorical interpretation of Scripture episode, which a lot of this, we talk about a lot of this, and a lot of this is going to funnel back to that. Um, but actually, I think I've mentioned in there how many times Calvin in that book quotes Augustine, but he he quotes him like crazy. That is who he models his beliefs after and all of those kind of things, which is perfect for a private interpretational system. Okay, but, but what Calvinism is, is broken down into five points. It's called, they've uh, given an acrostic uh, called TULIP. Um, and the, the theology is about as fruity as their acronym is. Uh, but it stands for, the T stands for total depravity. The U stands for unconditional election. The L stands for limited atonement. The I stands for irresistible grace. And the P stands for perseverance of the saints. Okay, so at uh, when a Calvinist talks about these things, they're, again, they're going to use big words, they're going to use fancy words, but they're, they're, always, they're normally not going to talk in layman's terms because it, when they describe their doctrinal beliefs um, or false doctrinal beliefs, uh, it actually leads to harsh realities when you really think about it. And so they talk in code normally, and they don't like to, to talk in black and white. We love to talk in black and white because we just believe we can go and compare Scripture with Scripture to give you exactly what we believe. Like, for instance, when we talked about UFOs, we did not talk in any code in that episode because we believed, like we said, you could use the word flying, uh, fly, uh, flying roll. If that's a more biblical appropriate word, that's fine. But we lay everything out on the carpet, what we believe. When we talk about the gap, we lay, we lay everything out on the carpet. We don't worry about what people perceive that we are saying. We just want to say what we believe the Bible is saying. Calvinists, they oftentimes talk in code. Okay, but in those five things, when you hear those, you may think, well, some of those sound like Bible words. Well, actually, uh, all f in all five points, there's a Bible word. Um the problem is, and we've learned this from many guys throughout the years, the problem is the adjective that's always attached with the other word. Um, and again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we're, we're going to save most of that for those five weeks that we hit e each individual point. But for instance, unconditional election, that's what everything hinges on. Calvin believes that God chose by his sovereign will who would be saved and who wouldn't be saved? That's what Calvinism is most well known for. He chose before the foundation of the world, of the earth, who would be saved and who would not be saved. Now, that by definition means that God, against the person's will, but just because of his, his sovereignty, uh, and they'll even say it precedes his foreknowledge, that he just made a choice to say, this guy is going to hell. Well, that sounds harsh, and so that they won't say it in that direct of a manner, but that's exactly what, what that belief system leads to. That's what it is. Okay, and so everything hinges on unconditional election. But let's just take that, that phrase, unconditional election. I'm sorry, uh, unconditional, yeah, unconditional election. Election is a Bible term. The word elect is found all throughout the Bible, and we're going to define it like crazy what that is, and when we get to that 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 uh, that week in the series, but uh, be unconditional being attached to election is not a biblical principle. 
That's, that's not biblical. So election is, unconditional election is not. Okay, and, and that applies with anything, with anything in our in, in life. Uh, you know, some things are legitimate, but just because I attach another word to it, that can make that legitimate thing a lie. And that's what Calvinism is. Um, and we'll have we'll spend a lot more time diving into all that to prove that again. D- total depravity, very same thing. Um, someone could say, "Well, you have to believe in that because we are depraved." Yeah, we're definitely depraved. Every single person that's born into this world is born into depravity. They are sinners because they come from Adam, and Adam fell. Um, but we do not believe they are totally depraved because what Calvinists mean by total being totally depraved is that they don't have the ability to respond. Like they don't even have the, the ability to choose Jesus Christ. Well, that's not Bible. Depravity is real. Total depravity is not. And what they mean by total depravity is inability. Okay. So on the other end of Calvinism, Kyle, you cut me off wherever, if you have something you want to insert on something that I say, but, uh, on the other end of, or the opposite end of the spectrum of Calvinism is something called Arminianism. Now, that, a lot of people will think, oh, you're not a Calvinist, you must be an Arminianist. Well, we're not an Arminianist either. Um, but it is, uh, this guy by the name of Joseph Ar- Arminian came up uh, after Calvin and saw his teachings and found holes in them because there's a lot of them, a lot of holes. And he uh, started you know, combating those things. And I will say there are more things that we agree with in Arminianism than Calvinism, we are not Arminius because we're just Bible believers. And I don't say that just to be like, you know, oh, we're just right, uh, right in the middle, but that is what we are. We just believe what the Bible says, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, comparing Scripture with Scripture. Okay, so Arminianism, they pretty much have five points too. Um, throughout the years, they've kind of condensed it into this. Um, and and they may be, they're not worded as clearly as, Calvinist, as Calvinists are, like they, you go to Calvinist, Calvinism and you can find those five points all over the place. Well, Arminianism, they may be worded differently in different places, but for the most part, it's number one, they do believe in election, but their election is, is conditional on personal faith. Okay, we believe the same thing. Okay, secondly, um, they believe in an atonement. Well, that's great. We believe in an atonement too. Okay. Calvinists believe in an atonement too. They just have conditions on theirs. Um, but Arminian, Arminian, Arminius uh, lay out their belief on an atonement uh, and that everyone is qualified. Okay, we believe in that too. Uh, thirdly, they make known, and again, this is where you'll see different wordings, uh, but they make known the nature of faith in someone's life or the free will. Uh, uh, and that's attached really with several points here, but th- this person has the ability to to respond in faith versus not responding in faith. We believe in that as well. The fourth one is that grace is present. And they actually word it typically as something to the effect of the resistibility of grace. So God offers his grace, but instead of it being irresistible, as the Calvinists lay out, they believe it is is resistible. And that goes into talking about the free will aspect. Because if it's resistible, then that means you can take it or leave it. And that means there's free will involved. And then their fifth one is the perseverance through assisting grace. Now, what this typically, what this pretty much results in is Arminians don't believe in eternal security. 
And so what they mean by perseverance through assisting grace is you have the ability to maintain your salvation through God's grace helping you, but because you have free will, you also have the ability to choose wrong and you can lose your salvation. Well, oftentimes that is where people uh, split the difference between a Calvinist and uh, an Arminianist is they say, oh, you believe in eternal security, you must be a Calvinist, okay? Because the Calvinist fifth point is perseverance of the saints, which means God will keep you if you're part of the elect, if you're saved. Okay, well, we believe God will keep you, but we're going to talk more about that throughout the, the, the episodes that Calvinists actually don't have eternal security, not in the way they view the Bible. Um, again, that sounds crazy. Just hang around. We'll talk more about that. It's a long, long series. Okay, but that's that's the two sides. Typically, people are like, you're either a Calvinist or you're, ne- you're either an Arminius. Well, we don't believe in either one. And one guy that we like to read behind would actually say that all Calvinism leads to Arminianism. And what he means is that these funnels of these two different theolo- uh, theological systems both lead uh, to where you have to do works to ensure that you actually are saved. And I couldn't agree with him more. And the reason why that is, well, Arminianism doesn't hide that. They say you can lose your salvation, which means if you do something wrong or you don't work, you can lose your salvation. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that in our dispensation. We don't believe that. Okay. Well, Calvinists say, no, you can't lose your salvation. Yet, perseverance of the saints is such a key point for them because what they'll actually say is if somebody doesn't persevere, even though they have a testimony of salvation, well, they never actually were saved to begin with. Uh, I've said this before on this podcast, but John Piper, he's a popular Calvinist. Uh, John Piper has prayed a prayer like this that I've read in a book uh, or on an article or something where he actually prays something daily, he says, to the effect of God, don't let me do anything that will prove that I was not part of the elect. Okay, that, okay, like I said, Calvinist talk and code. What that is, let me, let me let's talk. Let's let's take that same prayer and let's talk in layman's terms with that. What what John Piper's praying is God, don't let me do anything that shows that I'm really not saved. That's the same. That's what he's saying. So you can see how both of these systems, even though they 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 end technically with their fifth point, seems like they're in total opposition. They actually both lead to the same point. That's why a Calvinist cannot wholeheartedly know that they're saved. Because if they don't persevere, then man, they can, they'll can they realize, wow, I actually wasn't part of the elect to begin with, which means I'm damned. So it's a huge, it's a huge thing. It's a big old mess. All right. Um, so in this overview, we're, all, we're 27 minutes in, so we'll kind of just hit... Um, I wrote down four things from a Bible student perspective why Calvinism is 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 flawed um, and why it's it's false teaching. Um, again, I made made comment me me and Kyle and any real uh, Bible teacher Bible student um, they study the Word of God with the in the parameters that the Word of God gives. Okay, somebody could say I don't like rules. I just like to approach it however I want. Okay. Well, everything in life has rules. Everything in life has parameters. Like, for instance, uh, laws in, in, the, in, in our country or in our state. 
I cannot, as a police officer pulls me over for going 30 over the speed limit, I can't say, you know what, uh, officer, I just like to approach things how I want to. You know what he's going to say? Oh, I don't care. Here's a $200 speeding ticket. Okay? Um, we don't get to approach life like that. And we don't get to approach the Word of God like that. God is the author of this book. Therefore, we have to study it the way he's laid it out. We are not the author. Okay? He is the central theme of this book, not us. So he gets to call the shots on how this book is studied. And so there's many points and, and references uh, that lets us know how we are to study. And this is not a series on on how to study the Bible and hermeneutics. But in a roundabout way, anytime you're trying to trying to expose false doctrine, you are gonna we are gonna talk about her, hermeneutics, which is how to study the Bible, because we got to show you how they're not studying it the right way. Okay. So I wrote down uh, four major things that stand out to me, and there, there, there's a lot more that could be said. But four major things that stand out to me on problems with how they approach Scripture. Okay, first and foremost, they are not literalists. Okay, they, and that's why I said you can go back and listen to literal versus allegorical interpretation of Scripture uh, or approach to Scripture, um, like our second episode, I think, we ever did. You can go back and listen to that, and we're going to talk about a lot of these same things. But this is where it all starts. Okay, we believe the Bible is a literal book. Okay, so we approach the Bible that we take it literally what it says unless we can't. Now, what we mean by that is there's certain passages that if we took it literally, it would contradict other passages. Like Jesus over in John 6 says, drink of my blood. Well... That's, that's, that's not a literal passage. He's not actually wanting us to literally, you know, drink his blood. Or they, he did not literally want his disciples to come up and eat his flesh. Could you imagine Peter walking up to Jesus and just starting gnawing on his leg? That's not what Jesus was calling him to. Okay. That was a, that was a picture. There are pictures in the Bible. There are types in the Bible. There are similitudes in the Bible. But majority of scripture is to be interpreted literally. Like we go to etern- uh, verses about salvation in the New Testament, man. What if we what if we just uh, we spiritualize those and said, well, what does that really mean? What does it really mean that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved? Man, I take that verse literally. But you can see where the rabbit hole begins to happen, um, where if you start interpreting everything spiritually or allegorically it leads you down the wrong the wrong trail okay so we we interpret the bible literally a calvinist does not this is why now they would refute that but this is why um their prophecy is terrible like a calvinist eschatology is the worst teaching they can do i mean outside of salvation which it's a pretty big one to be messed up on but like it's terrible. They're, they're, them teaching eschatology is just downright awful, and that is because um, they don't interpret the Bible literally. And the reason they don't interpret the Bible literally is because they're not dispensationalists. And not to repeat stuff we've said in the past, but dispensationalism is the only way you can interpret the Bible literally consistently because God changes throughout history how He deals with people and what He commands them to do. Um. But we interpret the Bible literally. A Calvinist does not. Uh, Cal, if you want to grab uh, Genesis 3, verse 1 and 2. Um, 
And then I'm going to grab Revelation 2.6. The listeners have heard this verse. That's right. <laughs> I think we've done this on every episode. A bunch, yeah. All right, Genesis 3, 1 and 2. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Just the first two? Yeah, that's good. Okay, so in this passage, and there's more there, but and like Kyle said, we've read this a lot, especially in our King James stuff and literal verse allegorical and all that. But at the end of the day, Satan continues to work the same way, and this is why he's for false teaching. He wants to cast doubt on the the rock-solid truth that we have of Scripture. Well, one of the easiest ways he can do that is in our approach to Scripture. Okay, If we approach it unbelievingly, and we approach it as skeptics, and we approach it viewing it through the lens of, well, what does that really mean, then it can completely jack up what we believe that it says. Okay? Because like if we're always like it'd be like if somebody wrote me a letter, and they said, um, if you walk like someone let's say someone passed away, and they had a house, and they said, Dylan, if you go in my house, go in the second bedroom to the left, you look in the closet to the top right, and there's a box. There's five hundred thousand dollars there in that box for you. Okay, that would be awesome. If anybody wants to do that, holler at me. Okay. But what if I read, like it was a literal, a literal thing, a literal letter. What if I read that and I was like, hmm, I started talking to my wife one day. I'm like, hmm, I think I know what he really means here. This is a sign. He's wanting me to, you know, and I'll make up some kind of bullcrap thing that's some kind of mystical view of what this, okay, and that's a terrible example. I get it. But that is what people do with scripture when there's clear teaching of scripture and they're like, what is this? really saying that's what satan was doing in genesis 3 and that's what he continues to do and by the way he uses people uh in bible teachers and men and pastors he uses people like that to do that for him okay and it's it's just a crying shame okay so they, they're not literalists I, I have revelation 2 6 pulled up it says but this thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the nicolaitans which i also hate it says that God hates the Nicolaitans. What, okay, what does that mean to you? The Nicolaitan was a, a people in this, this time frame, in the early part of the church, that the word literally means to conquer the laity. They were, these were these people that were, that were doing similar things that Satan did in Genesis 3 by, by making people think, and I, I believe it's tied to the Catholic Church, which, spoiler alert, I believe Calvinism comes from Catholic teaching. Okay, again, you don't believe that? That's fine. Just hang around. Um, but what it really comes back to is that they that it's the conquer of the laity, which means to conquer the common man. That's why the Pope and the Catholic Church d- did not believe throughout history that the common person could have a Bible and understand it for themselves. Okay? Well, that's essentially what Calvinists do when they teach the Bible is because they're oftentimes laying out stuff like, well, uh, I know all says all there, but that's not really what it means. No, no, they have to insert their their private interpretational system into your mind so that when you go back to read that verse, then you view it through their system rather than just literally what it says. Or even further, rather than what it says compared to what the other verses in that same context say. 
it's just a jacked up system. Same thing as the Catholics. It, it, exact, you're, exact same what thing. What you're reading is what the church says it is. Right, that's exactly. That's you have to believe it. Absolutely. And that's why they're deeply, deeply connected. Um, so, like I said, it, it, it's actually funny. The verse I just read is Revelation 2.6. Um, and do you know the Catholic Church? We've said this before, too, I think. The Catholic Church, they interpret the whole book of Revelation allegorically. They spiritualize the whole thing. They don't believe any of us literal. Which, you know what that means? That means they don't believe in a literal second coming. Do you know what Catholics, I mean, uh, what Calvinists also, most of them don't believe? They don't believe in a literal second coming. Some of them are post-millennial, uh, which means they believe the millennium happens before Jesus comes back. I don't know how that works. That's crazy. We're pre-millennial. We, we believe Jesus comes back and then the millennium happens because it's his kingdom. In other words, they post-millennialists believe that the kingdom happens without Jesus present. They, they believe it's about us, that we usher in the kingdom, all those things. Okay, but most Catholic, uh, mo I keep saying Catholics, okay, just get this. Catholic and Calvinist is almost synonymous, okay? <laughs> you just hurt some feelings. <laughs> yeah. Most Calvinists, most, okay, I'll, I'll say this. Calvinists and Catholics are like second cousins. That's a good way of putting it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on Facebook later. Catholics and Calvinists are second cousins. okay. Um, don't let me forget to post that, Kyle. <laughs> um, what were, I just lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Okay. Okay. Most Calvinists, just like Catholics, they're actually amillennial. They're not postmillennial. Some are, but most are amillennial. What does that mean? Ah just simply means that it's, it, it, there is none. It's not going to happen. So they don't believe in a literal reign of Jesus Christ and that he will return. Okay. Wow. Like, now you're starting to step into massive problems because we believe one of the rules of Bible study. We believe the whole theme of the Bible is the second coming of Christ slash his millennial reign. It's both because the reason of his second coming is so that he rules and reigns in the millennium. So if you don't believe that, then man, that's massive. Well, a Calvinist doesn't believe that for the most part. Uh, the reason they don't normally believe that is because they don't take the Bible literally. And so they spiritualize Second Advent passages instead of just believing what it says. Okay, so that was a long point. I got to get rolling here because this is not going to be a short episode like I said it was. So they're not literalists. Secondly, they don't divide. Okay, in other words, they don't rightly divide Scripture like we say so much of all the time. Second Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, there are divisions in the word of God. And if we wrongly divide or we don't divide at all, which is is at least is equal to wrongly dividing, um, that causes us one day to be ashamed and to not be approved, according to 2 Timothy 2.15. Okay, they don't divide. They don't believe in dispensations. They don't believe in separating points. They, they don't believe in any of that. That's a massive problem. It leads to heresy. Thirdly, uh, they believe in covenant theology, which is the same thing as replacement theology. Now, we've talked about this before, too. Um, that is, I think we actually talked about it in our The Problem with Wrongly Dividing episode. I think that's the one. Um, but covenant theology is simply, there's seven covenants in Scripture clearly shown. We talk about those, and that's what lines up the seven dispensations that we believe in. Okay, the problem with covenant theology is they believe one covenant 
replaces another covenant. So in other words, let's say God places a covenant at one point. They believe a covenant down the road gets rid of the old covenant. The problem with that is that leads to replacement theology, which they believe, which essentially is that God's done with the Jew and that the church or the Gentiles have replaced the church. Uh, I mean, have replaced the, the Jew, I'm sorry. Um, well, that's that's heresy because of a lot of verses. The, the whole point of the second coming in the millennium is God restores Israel for them to rule and reign with him. It's just that he allows the church to take part on that. That's, that's what Romans 11, us being grafted in, that's what all that's about. And so, man, again, we don't have time to dissect all of these points in depth, but just trying to give an overview. Uh, it leads to that, which is, is heresy. Okay, and then fourthly, and this is, they're all equally big, but this is kind of what we'll spend the last time on. Uh, they don't interpret Scripture with Scripture. Okay, Kyle, you want to read 1 Corinthians 2.13? Some of these verses we quote all the time. And the reason we quote them all the time is because they're so massive when it comes to studying Scripture. Um, and this is, we say this all the time, the secret sauce and how we learn the Bible is by comparing the Bible with the Bible. So go ahead and read that, Big Cat, if you got it. First Corinthians 2.13, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Okay, and so we know that his words are spirit, according to John 6.63. And so his words are spirit. So we're to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. So that means, we've said this before, there are three ways that we, when we're studying the Bible, that we come up with, a, with what a word means in Scripture. The first way and the primary way is to view that, that, that word in its context in that passage while comparing that word around the Word of God. So like we use eSword. We say all the time, this is just practical stuff. We use eSword. You can use anything you want. But we, we search a word. That, like we're trying to study a word on, on a passage. We see where that word is used in other places. That is going to give you a working definition of what that word means, seeing it used over and over again. That's how we come to definitions of words. A second thing I would a second the second best way, which is there's a big gap after the first one, but the second best way to get a definition is Webster's 1828 dictionary. It pretty much just gives us basic definitions of English words, um, closest to around you know the King James time and all that. Okay, the third one is the Strong's definitions of words. Like I said, there's a reason that those are in that order because I like Strong's definitions, um, but sometimes a Strong's definition is going to teach you that Leviathan is a hippo. Um, well, we don't believe that. The reason we don't believe that is because we compare Scripture with Scripture. We see that Leviathan in, Job, in the book of Job is not a hippo. Okay? So, that's how we, that's how we define words in Scripture. That's how you be a Bible student and define words in Scripture. Okay? Well, again, the first way that we do that and the primary way that we do that is comparing Scripture with Scripture. Okay, the Calvinist does not do that. Um, they don't do that at all. And the reason we know that is because it's very simple to see the things that they say that words mean. And then when we compare that word in Scripture, it never comes to that same result that the Calvinist gives the definition to. Okay, an example of that is... John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish forever. Okay, for God so loved the world. They, a Calvinist will say, especially if they believe in limited atonement and they're a five-pointer, 
a Calvinist will say that the world there is actually the elect. Okay. Now, just using common sense and common knowledge and working definitions of what the world means, we know that sounds strange. But okay, I get it. Like sometimes, you know, you comparing Scripture to Scripture, you'll see that there's something different about something and God will kind of give you a little nugget. So maybe that's what Calvin did there. Maybe that's what Augustine did there by saying the world is the actually the elect. It's not the entirety of the world. All right, well, Kyle, we're going to do a word study on world here. So if you want to go to 1 Samuel 2.8. All right. Kyle's going to 1 Samuel 2.8, and I'm going to Job 34.13. Go ahead, Kyle, when you got it. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. Okay, so my question is, he's talking about the pillars of the earth, which I'm not a flat earther. That's an interesting conversation for the flat earthers. They, they love those pillars. Uh, I'm not a flat earther, by the way, but that's a sidebar. Um... Okay, he's talking about the pillars of the earth and how the world is set on the pillars. Okay, if we're going to interpret that the world means the elect, then what he's saying is the the elect. That's the first mention of world, by the way, in our Bible. That means the elect is set up is set upon the pillars of the earth. That seems like a strange analogy. Um, okay, so that that doesn't seem like likely that that's the case. Job thirty four thirteen. It says, who hath given him a charge over the earth or who hath disposed the whole world? So those are two references that show us that the world's being connected with the earth, which is talking about the entirety of the human race. Okay, that's not hard to understand. It's not talking about the elect. Okay, and you obviously get what I'm going at here. There's actually not one place that you can go in scripture where the world is referred to as the elect. Not one. What you have to do to interpret the world as elect is you have to have a private interpretational system before you approach that verse. It's the only way. That's the only way you arrive there. All right, Kyle, if you want to go to um, John 17, 9, and then I'm going to go to 1 John two seventeen. Yep, John 17, 9. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Now notice this, this is a big verse. He says, I pray for them. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about his disciples. Okay, a Calvinist would say that his disciples were the elect, surely. I mean, they're not even dispensationalists, so they don't see a dispensational line here or nothing. They would say that that's, they're part of the elect. So he's saying, I pray for my disciples, I pray for them but not for the world. Okay, if the world means the elect, then what he's saying for is, I pray for, for my disciples, but not for the elect. Well, that seems like a problem, considering that Christ is our, uh, he's our, he's our mediator, that we know that the Spirit of God, uh, he, he prays for us. We know that he is our, um, uh, what was the other thing I was mentioning earlier, Kyle? He's our, uh, he's at the right hand of the Father. Something. I can't remember what I, what I was telling him earlier. Just forget that. Don't worry about it. Like I said, we don't edit these Well, he much. prays for us. So you... He does pray for <laughs> us, okay? 
He, he's praying for his disciples, but he's not praying for the world. You obviously, uh, you, you don't have to be a, a deep Bible student. You get what I'm saying. There's a problem there. Now, what the Calvinists would say is, well, that's different there. Now, it's the same word in Scripture. Matter of fact, John 17, 9, that's the same, that's the same book as John 3, 16. Just a few, just some, just some odd chapters later, same book. No, well, that's different, Dylan. That's, a, that's not the elect in that world. But in the world use over here, that is the elect. You see the fine line that they're walking on? Well, they're, what they are is they're a 400, they're a 400 pounder trying to walk on a balance beam. Dangerous. Dangerous. It is a very weeble wobbly thing and they're having to constantly realign themselves to stay on track with their, their private interpretational system. So just think about that for a second. Would you want to stand under a 400 pounder walking on a balance beam? Well, that's the same thing you're doing if you're sitting under a Calvinistic teacher. Yeah. You're just waiting for that 400 pounder to come a weeble wobbling off and just to crush you. And that's what Calvinistic teaching is going to do to you if you keep staying underneath it. Yeah. That was just a little analogy that came to me. Like, okay. That goes right to that First Corinthians chapter 2. Like, If they're not comparing spiritual to spiritual, then the next verse says they're spiritually discerned. Yes. So like, because of man's wisdom, John Calvin's wisdom. Yep. They're never going to get it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so that's that's just one instance, you know, how with the world, like you can go a lot further with that. Just do a study on the world, on world in your, your, your King James Bible. Um, and and you, you see it for yourself. It's very easy. Okay. They're having to say that, that the same word, drast, not just slightly, but drastically means different things in different places. Uh, it's First John, I think it's First John, like 3.16. That says for all that is in the world, the lust of the uh, the lust of the flesh, or what is it, the lust of the eyes. What is that? You go ahead and read it, Kyle. I'm jacking it up. I need more coffee. That ain't it. That uh, ain't it. Dad, no. gum it. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That sounds right. That's it. Okay, it's First John something. Maybe it's two sixteen. The lust of the flesh, two sixteen. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Okay. That is all that's in the what? The world. So that's what's all in the elect? No, they wouldn't agree. They know that's not what that's saying. And so they're having to constantly jump around and do that. It's just, it's like I said, this is why I say that Calvinism is not hard to disprove. Not because Kyle and I are smart, but because the Bible is a, is a book that is spiritually discerned, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And they can't do that with their system. It doesn't work. Okay, so I thought maybe we can close on this, Kyle. We'll, we'll hit, just for the, the, the skeptic out there, the gainsayer that we're trying to shut the mouth of, we'll hit the, the, some of their hot-button verses, and then the next five weeks we'll hit each individual part of the tulip. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, if you want to go to Romans 9.13. This is one of their favorites. Romans 9. These few chapters right here are probably their favorite. Yep, <laughs> Romans 9, Romans 11. They love it all. All right, 913, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Okay, now that they love that. What they're saying is God shows that he hated an individual and he loved an individual before they could do anything about it. Okay, well, uh, his choosing of a love for uh, a nation or a person did happen. He chose Israel. Okay, if you don't like that, I'm sorry. 
That's why he's not cast them away. We need to pray for Israel. Those are his chosen people, etc. Um, but that's actually not referring to him hating an individual person versus loving an individual person. Uh, you know what we're going to do? How do we know that's not what that is? Well, for one, that's against the entirety of Scripture. So this is what Calvinists do. They take, they take individual verses that are obscure, and they build entire doctrinal frames around those. Even though their doctrinal frames completely disagree with the majority of Scripture. Okay, but even even that, we're, we're going to compare Scripture to Scripture. That's what we like to do. Okay, there's another place where it talks about God hating Esau. It's in Malachi chapter 1. Uh, Malachi chapter 1 verse 3 says, And I hated Esau. Now notice this after this. There's a comma. And it says, And laid his mountains. Hmm, it's a weird expression for a person. And laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. He's obviously talking about a place here, not a person. He's just using the name as a figurative language. Verse 4, he tell, it shows that. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished. And it goes on to say more. The connection is Esau represents Edom in the Bible, which is a place. Okay? Now, what God is saying in Romans 9 is he has chosen Israel. He has not chosen Edom. Okay? And that's exactly what he has done in the Old Testament. Okay? Uh, Israel was his chosen people. Um, okay, Kyle. If, and that's, by the way, just, that's just comparing Scripture to Scripture. It's not hard to see that. Kyle, if you want to grab um, Psalm 14.7. 14.7. Psalms 14.7. On that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. Okay. Just like Esau is connected with Edom. It's figurative language for a, for a region of the world in Edom. Jacob is constantly... I mean, this is the book of Psalms. Jacob's long gone. Jacob's not going to rejoice. The person of Jacob... No, the land of Israel is going to rejoice. You see the connection of Jacob and Israel, and there's a ton of references for that. It, you do the, do the study for yourself. It's easy. All right, a second verse they love. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did for... And Kyle, I'll let you grab... Uh, actually, I'm just going to read this right now. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate us, or predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, they love the word predestinate, predestination. Okay, predestinate's a Bible word. It's in there. Well, what do we find happening here in Romans 8.29? There is some predestinating going on, but it's not to salvation. It's not to eternal life. It's to being conformed to the image of his son. Now, let me ask you, when you got saved, were you instantly conformed fully to the image of a son? Okay. You received an alive spirit. You were quickened. You received the Holy Spirit. But if you know anything about the Bible and about spiritual growth, we are constantly growing and being conformed more into the image of a son. That's what growth is. That is what it means to look like Jesus Christ. That's what spiritual growth is all about. So someone that is in Christ, someone that is in saved, as someone that's been saved, they are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, and then notice also, sidebar in that reference, that foreknowledge actually still precedes that. That's where Calvinists get so jacked up these days, is 
they they flip predestination to proceed foreknowledge oftentimes. Okay? Well, the reality is things actually come after God's foreknowledge, and this is the reality. We don't have God's foreknowledge. That is why we are called to go to the to, to all cre- uh, as as Mark 16:15 says, preach the gospel to every creature. To go to all men, to go to every region of the world. Okay? Because we don't know who will respond and who will not respond. And God has made it available for all. Okay? All right, Kyle, if you want to go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. I guess we'll land the plane right here. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Okay, so we we see the predestination thing show up again in verse 5. And what is that predestination leading to? Again, notice it's not leading to salvation. The predestination is to the adoption. Okay, you, you say, well, I'm adopted right when I'm saved. Okay, I get it. You do receive the spirit of adoption. And this is where some people are going to disagree, but this is just Bible. You may receive the spirit of adoption, but the actual adoption, according to Romans 8, and I think we quoted this verse either last week or a few weeks ago. Romans 8.23 says, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan. So we have the first fruits of the Spirit, which is the Spirit of adoption. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. Interesting. To wit, the redemption of our body. So the completion of the adoption is actually a glorified body. So that's what the predestination is too. So again, notice. Now again, they make so much about predestination. They love talking about that. I think that's actually the only two references of of being predestinated. Um, you can check me out on that. Um, and I think Kyle's actually, go ahead and do that for me, Kyle. Predestinated. Yeah. It's only Ephesians 1, 5 and 11. Yeah. And it's only twice. And, and then, and then predestinated is Romans 8. Yeah. So those are, those are the, the two passages or three verses technically. Okay. And they make a whole big theology system based on it. And none of the predestination is leading to salvation. It's all to something that follows salvation. It's really not hard. Um, okay, and then notice, uh, read uh, Ephesians 1-4 again, because people will make uh, comments about that, that reference in and of itself too. Ephesians 1-4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay, um, th- this is not hard either. According as he hath chosen us. Okay, who is the us of, of, in the book of Ephesians? Well, or in any Pauline epistle, it's saved people. Okay, well, the book of Ephesians is all about the mystery of the church. See, in the Old Testament, they didn't know anything about the church. They didn't know that there would be this joint uh, group of believers that were Jew and Gentile that, were, that had believed on Jesus Christ for eternal life, etc., Okay, and they did not know that, that when someone received Christ that they would be placed in Christ, nor did they know that Christ would be placed in them. One of the, the seven mysteries 
that Second Corinthians four talk or First uh, Corinthians four talks about is uh, that the that God would indwell man. They didn't know that. That was a mystery, and a mystery is something that was hidden. The definition of a mystery in the Bible is something that was hidden that God later reveals. So, one of the other mysteries of those seven is the church. Paul spends the entirety of Ephesians laying out the mystery of the church. That's what the whole book's about. Go read the book of Ephesians. It's about him laying laying out the the mystery of the church. Well, what the church is is people that are saved being placed in Christ. Matter of fact, Paul's favorite Paul's favorite expression for the word saved, like we say saved most of the time, like are you saved? Is that person saved? You know, they got saved. Okay, his favorite expression is in Christ. Okay, so at the end of the day, when someone gets saved, they get in Christ. So what the Lord is saying here in verse 4, very, and look, we're not even having to do the whole Satan thing, slash Calvinist thing. You know, what is this really saying? No, no, no. He's saying that he chose that those that are saved, saved people here in this passage, that he chose saved people to be in him, in Jesus Christ. That that was his plan from before the foundations of the earth. Well, why is that? Well, because God has foreknowledge. And God knew that Israel would turn on him. God knew that his son would come. Now, did, did, did man have free will, even though God had this foreknowledge? Yeah, man had free will. They had to make, they had to make their own choices to, to not submit to God's will throughout the whole process. He always gives free will. We actually see God's mind change a few times in the Old Testament based on man's free will. That's another sidebar. Okay, and based on prayer. So... Like at the end of the day, a Calvinist really doesn't believe in the effectiveness of prayer because praying is oftentimes to move God or change His mind. So you can't be a Calvinist and be a prayer warrior. Maybe that's not that's rough. <laughs> uh, we'll talk more about that. Just keep hanging with us if you disagree with us, okay? Uh, Kyle's like us. You said that, okay? Okay, but but notice what he's saying. God had God had had foreknowledge. He knew that Israel would turn on him. He knew that His Son would come. He knew that his son would be would not be received. He knew that his son would die. He knew that after his son would die and resurrect, that there would be this temporary time in the beginning of Acts where he's still offering the kingdom to Israel. He knew that they would stone Stephen in Acts 7 and they would not receive Christ as their Messiah. He knew that the time of the Gentiles would come in. He knew that the church age would be ushered in. There would be this mystery of the church where people are his people that trust him for salvation. And he knew that he was going to set this whole economy up, that those in this dispensation, that when they trusted him, they would be placed in him. It goes back to what we talked about last week, Ephesians 2, 6. That when we got saved, Christ placed us in heavenly. We're seated in heavenly places with him. We are in him, and he is in us through the Holy Spirit. That's what Ephesians 1 4 is about. And so maybe you like that, maybe you didn't like all that. Um, my encouragement is to, to hang around with us throughout this. It's gonna be a long series, six weeks. We're, if you've listened to this, you're you're you are one sixth of the way through. This is just an overview, which is maybe the most important uh, lesson of all of them, because at the end of the day, that's what Cal that's the problem with Calvinism. I just want to give you an overview of that. They don't interpret the Bible literally. They don't divide it, so they don't. Therefore, they don't rightly divide it. They don't uh, believe that God is going to uh, keep His promise with Israel. They believe in replacement theology, which is so huge. Um, and they don't compare Scripture with Scripture. They can't afford to pair, compare Scripture with Scripture. 
By the way, you know, no, no matter if someone's a Calvinist or not, you know what oftentimes one of the scariest things for people about comparing Scripture to Scripture is? It's going to lead you to believe stuff that's different than what many people have taught you before. Because it lets God be true and every man are. And so that's always our goal in this, this, this whole podcast is for you to, to take this into your own study. Study this stuff for yourself and let God be true and every man a liar. And so we encourage you to do that even in this series and all of this stuff. And, we, and in that, our goal again is just to show you the false teaching of Calvinism. And because at the end of the day, I believe that this is a, a pulley of the devil. One guy that we read behind talked about this. He saw this happen to some of his friends. Um, it caused some of his friends that were active in ministry to get less active in ministry. Well, why, why would that be the case? Well, because if God doesn't give man free will, then at the end of the day, there's no purpose in going all in to try to win souls. There's no purpose in trying to, to there's no purpose in really even me teaching somebody the Bible because God's going to, God has already foreordained that they would know what they will know and not know what they won't know. He has foreordained that they will receive what they do receive and not receive what they don't receive. It throws all that out. There's no point in missions. Now, there are some Calvinistic missionaries. That's an oxymoron, if I've ever heard one. But yeah. there are some. Okay? But Don't at the end of... Don't really but we're going to go tell them about... Yeah. <laughs> and I, this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then Kyle, you close it out however you want to close it out. Uh, I don't say this to be mean-spirited, but the whole purpose of this is to... To, to, to shut the mouth of the gainsayer, to convince the gainsayer and to shut them shut their mouth, um, as Titus chapter 1 says. That's a biblical reference. Yeah, it's Bible, not Dylan. That's right. Um, here's a few Calvinists that are out today. There's a lot more than this, but I just want to name a few guys because this is you gotta, you got to call them out um, so that you don't get deceived by their... Because, again, they talk in code. They're not going to say, I am a Calvinist. Some of them will, some of them won't. These people, the, these guys that I'm going to name are Calvinists. Today, they're popular preachers. John Piper's a Calvinist. I've already said that. Paul Washer, the least of, my least favorite of the bunch, he's a Calvinist. Um, Francis Chan, oftentimes, is going to dabble in some Calvinism. Um, David Platt, he's a Calvinist. Um, and there's many more. Those are just four names that came to, came to my mind that, look, are very popular. John MacArthur. He actually will tell you he's a Calvinist. Probably don't have to say that. John MacArthur's a Calvinist. Uh, and any other names that come to your mind that would probably worth saying? No? Okay. Those don't, are Don't name too many. I turn people off. That's right. Yeah, really. <laughs> and I don't say that because I just like those guys. I just uh, you know want you to know that this, this doctrinal teaching is rampant right now. And most of these guys, again, they talk in code. And you, you got you to gotta read through the, uh, you know, the silver speech, the fancy speech, and uh, and just hear what they're saying for what they're saying compared to scripture, and uh, so I hope this will this all be a blessing to you. That's really truly our goal. Even though I get sarcastic and and probably snarky or whatever, um, that's the goal, and uh, hopefully this will allow you to study that for yourself as well. Yeah, yeah. Talking about Calvinist Calvinism and missionaries uh, that we were talking about John MacArthur before this, mm-hmm. but. Uh, at that same conference, he was talking and he was, I mean, you know, he's a Calvinist, but he was basically telling everyone, Hey, don't worry about, you know, the people outside of these four walls. Oh yeah. We're, we're not going to change for the, the people out there. Right? Right. We're not going to worry about bringing people in here. We're going to worry about what's inside our four walls right here. Well, why is he saying that? Mm-hmm. Because 
total depra- total depravity. Right. Like right. there's nothing we can do for them, so we're just yep. gonna worry about our four walls. That's right. But that's and, crazy. And that's what <laughs> unconditional election, what everything hinges on. Notice election in the new well, I'm getting ahead of myself, okay. It is conditional. Okay. In the old testament, there the elect is, is actually Israel, uh, which we're gonna say a lot more about that. But the elect, like in First Thessalonians, it talks about that. It's the church. It's those that are called that are called out. Okay, it is conditional. It's conditional because it was they got a part of the body of Christ by by their free will responding to Jesus Christ. Calvinists teach the other thing. They teach an unconditional election, which means that someone is elected to be saved based on nothing. Based on based on no decision. Based on no receptivity to truth or rejection of truth they were either chosen or they were or they were rejected so it's a wild deal it's crazy yeah yeah so so hang on next five more weeks of this uh if you're not a calvinist may, listen to this we'll give you maybe some foundation on why you believe what you believe and if you are a calvinist keep listening you know i encourage you to keep listening maybe maybe this will be some good stuff for you maybe I probably shouldn't say this on air. How it's almost called, but we we are all we are not here to debate. Although we are here, Titus one nine through eleven, we are here to convince the gainsayer and to shut their mouth. Yeah. Um. That's again. That's a Bible reference. Maybe you're out there and you're a Calvinist and you listen to us a lot and you'd like to debate us. Um. Maybe we'll have you on at the end of this. Yeah. Shoot us a message. Maybe that'd be an opportunity. Yep. Or if you got any questions on any of this, anything we said, you you think. Is, is dumb or isn't truth shoot us an email yeah we got email all the social medias whatever yep. share this thing let people see it this is this is a, a big deal in the world today Calvinism mess right alright stay tuned <laughs>